And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it is Tuesday as we get uh, to roll into Inflation Day. That's right. Today is the much-anticipated next print of inflation. Of course, tomorrow is the FOMC meeting, so today's inflation number will have some impact on uh, expectations of what the Fed will do. Markets betting on a softer print of inflation, and they're probably going to be right. Um, You know, we've talked about before that inflation is a function, really, of math more than anything else because it's the year-over-year comparisons. So when we start to look back into last year where we were really having strong inflation running the comparisons now are much easier for a decline in inflation because of the high rates of inflation that we had this time last year so again we're going to see weaker inflation this morning the question of course is how much weaker and will that really start to show up there's some some stuff that's actually feeding into that number as we talked about before one of the big numbers, right, makes up about 40% of the index is homeowners equivalent rent. Now, this is that that nebulous number that, you know, the Fed factors in here, the government factors in, that is kind of a composite of home prices and rental incomes, etc. And it's kind of an assumption, and it's a bit of a faulty assumption, but it's an assumption that if you own a home, right, what would you be able to rent it for if you decided to rent your home out? And so that's that homeowner's equivalent rent number. That makes up about 40% of the index. Now, that number is declining because of what's been happening with home prices. Rentals have all, rental price, rental rates have been coming down as well. So that's going to, that, and as we said before, when that number kind of kicks in and we start to see that real decline in home prices and rental incomes really start to fall, that's going to feed into CPI for and really kind of start to drag that CPI down towards that 2% number the Fed's looking for. Well, that's that we've now gotten to the point that that lag effect of that data is now catching up to CPI. So this morning we could see a fairly soft print of CPI. Um, if that is the case, now there's always the possibility that there's other factors in there that we could see a, a, a move not as soft and CPI, right? So there could be, there's a potential for disappointment this morning, we'll see. But the markets are pretty much betting on this weak print. So what does that mean for the Fed? Well, the hope is for the market, right? The reason the market's been rallying here over the last day or so is that a weaker inflation print will mean the Fed won't hike rates anymore, right? They'll, They'll come out and say, not only are we not hiking rates now, we're done hiking rates, period. That is the hope that the markets are betting on. Uh, yesterday, the market rallied, uh, of course, to close out the day. Um, again, we're back to that narrow rally. It was mostly tech stocks leading the way yesterday, so we're kind of back into that groove. That, that momentary rotation that we saw in the market quickly dissolved itself, and now we're back into chasing stocks again, um, or tech stocks again, which is now the most overcrowded trade that we've had in, in quite some time. Everybody is kind of on that one side of the trade. The question is now going to become, though, um, you know, kind of what happens next. Tomorrow, of course, is the Federal Reserve. They'll make their announcement. Friday, we have quadruple witching. It's a very, very large options expiration, so that could weigh on uh, some market volatility here. But just at the end of the month, so what is today? Today is the uh, 13th, right? So 
Tuesday the 13th. I don't know if that's unlucky or not. We'll see. <laughs> but um, just 13 days ago, May the 30th, I wrote an article talking about the S&P. It was a technical review of the markets. You can go onto our website at realinvestmentadvice.com and just go back a few days on, on the articles on the homepage. And you'll see one because it says technical review of the market. It was written May the 30th. At that time, the market was at 4,200. And we said, okay, the next level of market resistance is going to be the 61.8% retracement of the Fibonacci um, kind of retracement levels. And that's around 4338. We clipped right through that yesterday. So we've made a very, very strong advance in just the last 13 days. And the market is now trading well into three standard deviations above the 50-day moving average. Now, I know that's some technical mumbo-jumbo, but hang with me here for just a moment. Um, that just simply means that we've really stretched that rubber band. And as we talked about before, market prices can only move so far away from a moving average before eventually kind of gravity pulls it back towards that moving average. Well, we've, we've really moved a long way. We're, we're, we're basically three standard, well, almost four standard deviations. If the market's up today, we'll be pushing four standard deviations today above that moving average. Now, that, what that means is, is that when you start talking about standard deviations, when you get into three and four standard deviations of any event, right? You're talking that you have now priced in roughly 99% of all potential price movement in that direction. So we've had a very, very strong advance in the market. We're very well ahead of the moving averages at this point. So that gravitational pull on prices is starting to get a bit larger. We're also now over 10% away from the 200-day moving average, and on the NASDAQ, it's nearly 20% away from the moving average. That deviation from long-term moving averages is also a bigger gravitational pull. So the, what this, all this means is it doesn't mean markets are going to crash, but it does suggest that we're now starting to get to the point that upside is going to be a little bit more challenging here in the near term. So markets are either going to start to consolidate sideways here, as we've seen before, or you're going to get a pullback. And if we take a look back over the last you know, couple of years in particular, we can see that every time that the market got kind of this extended above the moving averages, you had a correction. Now, in all fairness, this was during kind of a bear market, but we also see this during periods of a bull market as well. So if, if we go back and kind of look at uh, 2019 as an example, because, you know, uh, sorry, 2021, uh, 2022 is an example. We kind of see the same thing is that every time the market kind of got this deviated above the moving averages, the, you got at least a pullback of some degree towards the moving average. So it's, it's a good indicator to suggest that markets have had a pretty exhaustive run here and you're likely going to get some type of correction. So if you're starting to feel that angst, that, oh my gosh, I've just, this market's just running away from me. It's leaving me in the dust. I've got to get money invested. Sometimes that kind of panic mode that you start to feel in the market, I've got to get in or I've got to do something, typically is at the worst time. And odds are because the market has moved so far so quickly here that we're going to get some type of retracement. Maybe not today, maybe not this week, but sooner rather than later, we'll get some type of pullback here that'll allow you to put some money to work in the markets. And again, this is kind of the big challenge. Now, one thing is, is important to understand here is that everything that is going on is now really much more bullish than people want to admit. 
So pullbacks here, again, when we start talking about the market last year, we, we had a 20% rally last year. Again, you're going to see a lot of headlines being written here over the next few weeks. It's a new bull market. We've, we've risen 20%. That's always been a new, new bull market pass. We did that last June and July. We had that 20% rally and it failed. And the difference was is that we were trading below the 200-day moving average. Now we're above the 200-day moving average. The 50-day moving average is crossed above the 200-day moving average. That is that traditional kind of golden cross signal of a bull market. This is much more bullish, a much more bullish formation in nature for the markets historically. So it suggests that A, we are gonna get a pullback here, but B, you wanna buy the dips. The, the idea that another bear market is coming here is probably not gonna happen. We're probably past that point. October was probably the low. Sure, could something happen? Absolutely. But most likely, October was the low point for the markets. And now you wanna start using declines in markets back to support as an opportunity to increase equity exposure in your portfolio. We'll see what happens. Things can always change and we'll certainly change with you. But stick around, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this morning right here on The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Oh, Red, I declare. Plum missed that candy coffee. Whatever am I gonna do? Don't you worry, little darling. We'll watch it again on our YouTube channel. Why, Red? I never! The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all of our past presentations from Candid Coffee and Lunch and Learn, the special topic discussions, and all of our live show recordings preserved for you. Subscribe now to the Real Investment Show YouTube channel or look for the link on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So a couple of things, uh, just kind of continue on with our discussion. So markets now much more bullish in nature in terms of technicals, right? You know, one of the things that I get a lot of emails on every day is, you know, hey, markets are doing this, but it's extremely narrow, right? And, and that's a true statement. It is a very narrow rally. It's been a handful of stocks really driving the majority of the gains. If you strip out the top seven, ten stocks, gains this year have been nearly as robust, but it doesn't matter. The index is up 12% for the year, almost 13 now. It is what it is. And there's certainly a lot of things to be concerned about. And as we've talked about before, it's our human nature to worry about risk, right? And from a behavioral standpoint, it makes sense that we worry about risk. But the one thing that we have to also remember is that as humans, we are genetically wired to forget about pain. And the reason that we are genetically wired this way to forget about pain is that if we weren't, we would have all died off as a civilization. Ask your wife how much pain she went through when she had a child, right? They'll tell you it's an amazing amount of pain, an immense amount of pain. But they forget about it. 
which is why they're able to have children again, right? Because they forget about all that pain. Psychologically, we, we put that pain away and we forget about it. And so we're able to do things. You know, if, if, we, if we weren't able to forget about pain, we would have never left the cave to go hunting, right? I mean, it's like, oh, you know, last time I went out, I got, you know, I got bit by, a, you know, some predator. But I'll never go out again because I don't want to experience that pain, right? We, we have to. We have to be able to forget about pain. Otherwise, we can't propagate our race and we can't move forward right we'd just all be huddled up in our cave somewhere and we'd eventually die out of starvation or lack of birth so markets work that same way is that we tend to forget about pain and what's happening in the markets now is that investors are forgetting about everything that happened last year and they're starting to chase exactly the same stocks that they got beat up in last year Meme stock ETFs have been outperforming the NASDAQ over the last month. So meme stocks are back. That's the very area that investors got beat up in last year. But this is just, again, how markets and psychology work. And again, that greed, fear factor, et cetera, all kicks into place. And, and we're all forgetting about the stuff we were worried about. And now it's, I got to get in, I got to make money. So if you're still kind of hanging on to the fact that, you know, we gotta have a, we, we've got to have this big bear market and this has happened and that's happened and all that, and that may be the case, right? There, there's certainly some, you know, issues of the lag effect of tighter monetary policy, higher interest rates, debt, slowing consumer environment. I, you know, we can go right down the list, but the markets are suggesting by their actions, that a lot of that has been priced in. Yes, we understand that's there. We understand that's coming. We've priced that into the probabilities of the markets, and this is where we are. And so we have to at least factor that into our thinking. And this is why, again, when we take a look at the technical makeup of the markets, it's telling us what the herd is thinking. Now, we consider and say the herd's wrong. And the herd is generally wrong at major turning points. The herd is wrong at the bottom of the markets. The herd is wrong at the top of the markets. The herd is generally right in the middle of a market move. So this is what we have to factor in. And look, I'm not saying that anything that you think about and anything you're concerned about certainly is not valid because it is. I have the same concerns. It's hard to imagine that with as many indicators that we have that suggest we're going to have a recession, that we're going to avoid one, but it's possible. And see, that's the, that's the thing that we have to factor into our thinking. The market is suggesting that the worst is potentially behind us. The market is suggesting that they factored in weaker earnings, weaker economic growth. That's what the market's thinking as a whole. Now, are they right? Don't have any idea. But that's what group think has. And so... This is the issue. So inflation has been a big issue. 
right? And, and this is all really kind of focused on the Fed. All this thinking, right? Inflation is slowing down. That means the Fed's going to stop hiking rates. That means that if they stop hiking rates, then the next thing to come is what? A rate cut. A return back to monetary accommodation. That is the bet the market is making. Really, the market doesn't care about anything else. The market only cares about monetary liquidity. That has been the key driver of the markets over the last decade, and markets are wanting more of it, right? It's like a heroin addict. I just need another hit. And that's what the markets want. So this inflation number today is the next key gauge on monetary policy and what the Fed's going to do next. And there's a good chance that the May inflation number was less than half of last year's peak. If we see a drop that is bigger than 30 basis points, this market is probably going to be up one and a half to 2% today. We'll see. Economists surveyed, let me just, this is by the, from the Wall Street Journal this morning. Economists surveyed by the Wall Street Journal estimate that consumer prices rose 4% in May from a year earlier. That would be well below the peak of 9.1% last June and down from April's 4.9% increase. So that's a pretty decent decrease if the number's right, right? If, the, if CPI comes in today at 4% annualized. That's a fairly sharp drop from last month's 4.9%. So that big of a drop is going to be very bullish for the markets this morning. We could see a fairly sharp increase. And the reason that that is the case is because the Fed said, and see, this is one of the mistakes that a lot of the economists and market analysts are making. They're saying, well, the Fed's going to hike rates until inflation gets to 2%. That's not what the Fed said. The Fed said they were going to hike rates until they saw inflation was on a trajectory back towards their 2% target level. If we go from 4.9% to 4%, you're down more than half from the peak, that's a fairly decent trajectory back towards their 2% target level. That would suggest the Fed needs to stop hiking rates, and they need to wait it out now. Labor Department's report on the Consumer Price Index is out at 7.30 this morning, so uh, about an hour from now. The NFIB Small Business Optimism Index is out this morning as well. That is a good leading economic indicator. That's expected to decline this morning as well from 89 last month to 88 and a half this month. Consumer price index month over month is expected to be up 2%, uh, sorry, 0.2% uh, versus 0.4% previously. And the year over year is expected to be 4% versus 4.9. Now, if CPI comes in at 0.02%, that's a 2%, a 0.02% increase in inflation over the last month. If you annualize that out, right? So multiply that by 12, that's two that's uh 2.4% annualized. So again, you're you're back towards if in other words, if every month from here we do 0.2% inflation every month, we're at 2.4% 
inflation over the course of the next 12 months. That is about where the Fed wants to be. So again, inflation is getting there. And, and you know, the, one of the other issues to this is what's called the core inflation number. This is what the Fed looks at a little bit more closely. It strips out food and energy, which is more volatile in terms of prices. And so core CPI is expected to come in 0.4% versus 0.4% previously. Now, if we annualize 0.4% out at core, right, that's 4.8%. That's a little bit more sticky, right? So that may make the Fed a little bit more uncomfortable if core inflation doesn't come down as much as expected. And core inflation has been a bit stickier, and this has been one of the issues kind of weighing on the Fed a bit. And we'll see what they say tomorrow, of course, because, and again, it'll be, it'll, a lot of it will depend on two factors as to what the Fed does tomorrow, which is the core inflation rate today. And the other factor was that really strong employment report we saw last Friday. The one, the one other factor about this is that the Fed's worried that inflation will come back. Even though inflation is declining right now, they're worried that inflation will start to pick back up again because of that strong employment number. That strong employment number means you've still got plenty of people employed. They're making money. They're buying stuff in the economy. And what the Fed has wanted is lower inflation, but also higher unemployment. So we'll see what happens this morning. The inflation number again at out 730 this morning. But... You know, a much weaker than expected number. We can see this market run pretty decently this morning. But, uh, you know, again, we're getting fairly extended here. In fact, we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the market and the bulls at, at this moment, which uh, currently expect a good bit more room to run. We'll talk about that next right after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So welcome back to the show this morning. Family story time. So uh, my son's home right now from the UK. He's here getting his uh, student visa put together to go to college. Uh, in the UK to study mechanical engineering. So he's got to be here for about three months while his student visa gets put into place, et cetera. And so yesterday was his, well, actually Sunday was his birthday. And uh, turning 23, very excited. So we, we were tied up on Sunday. So we said that we would go out to dinner last night and we took him out for his birthday dinner. And so we're out to dinner last night and and uh, of course his sister is is along with him and she's very competitive she always has to be the center of attention right that's that's her and so here we are we're celebrating his birthday and she pipes up she says hey dad i have a new boyfriend i was like really i have a new gun and she goes i don't see the connection i said yeah hopefully neither will the police um so that was our that was our dinner conversation last night It was actually good. 
we had we had, a, we had a nice birthday dinner. It turned out well. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the markets. So right now, as I said, there's there's clearly a bullish bias to the markets. It's you can't deny that. You can make up excuses for it, you can fight it, you can do whatever you want, but it is what it is. And that bias is is very clear. Lots of historical precedents that when you have a market that rallies more than 4% in the month of January, which we did this year, that the market tends to end higher for the year. Generally, on it averages about 22%, by the way. Now, will that be the case this year? Well, it certainly could be the case. Now, will it go straight there without having some sort of correction along the way? Probably not. You're probably going to get some opportunity of whatever it looks like to put some money to work. Again, markets are very extended, very stretched at this moment. Um, the, the chase has been very narrow. The stocks that have been chased the most are the most overbought and extended. You take a look at companies like Adobe and uh, Broadcom, Tesla, NVIDIA, AMD, they're trading three, four standard deviations above moving averages. And again, that's just not sustainable long-term, right? They can, they can, they, but they can stay that way for a while. But that's where this starts to become a lot bigger challenge um, for portfolios, right? If you run a diversified portfolio, if you have a value-based portfolio, if you base on you're investing on fundamentals or dividends, you're, you're drastically underperforming this year, and that pain is building to play catch-up. Uh, we talked about rotations, sector rotation potentials. That was in our last weekend's newsletter. It's on the website. Uh, Mike Leibowitz had an article about this out last Wednesday. He's got the second part of that coming out tomorrow. But talking about this potential for a rotation within markets, but that rotation may not happen until next year. Right? It can last longer than you think. Let me read to you from the Wall Street Journal this morning. Stock market bulls are in the driver's seat ahead of the busy stretch that features key economic data and the Federal Reserve's next interest rate decision. And, uh, and as I've been discussing, you're going to start hearing a lot of the following. The S&P 500 entered a new bull market last week after rising more than 20% from its October low. Now, you got to be careful for that because we saw exactly that same thing last June and July. The market rallied 20% from the lows. We had a 50% retracement of the Fibonacci uh, decline. And all the articles came out. It's a new bull market. We're back in a bull market. Whenever this has happened, the market's never declined again. And then by October, we were setting new lows. Now, the difference was twofold, as I said at the opening of the show. Back then, the 50-day was trailing below the 200-day moving average, and the rally, that 20% rally that was supposed to be a new bull market, was simply a retracement back to the 200-day moving average where it failed. That resistance held. The difference today, and it is a very important difference, is that the market is not only trading above the 200-day moving average, where that is that 200-day moving average is now support, not resistance. 
But the 50-day moving average has crossed above the 200-day. You now have that bullish golden cross in place, which typically suggests that asset prices move higher. When the 50-day is trading above the 200-day moving average, that is a bull market. Now, could it reverse and go back down again? Absolutely. We saw that happen back in 2015-2016. But given the length of time that the market has now been trading above the 200-day moving average, that uh, the odds of that reversal happening is becoming less and less. Now, just because we've entered into the new bull market, does that mean that you're not going to have to decline? No, that's not what it means. But what it does suggest is that you buy dips. In other words, when declines come, instead of fearing is like saying, oh, my gosh, see, here's that big correction everybody's been expecting. We're going to go down 30, 40 percent from here. Odds are it'll be a 5 to 10 to a 15 percent correction that'll be a buying opportunity. So you need to kind of switch your thinking now from being overly defensive to being opportunistic. Yes, there's still certainly concerns in the market. There's still certainly economic issues. There's still certainly earnings issues. All of those could factor in. But odds are most of that has already been accounted for by the market, so declines will be limited. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to go racing off to new highs anytime soon, but we could. Below the surface, I'm now reading again from the Wall Street Journal, below the surface, they're encouraging sign the rally has legs, even though few investors have much confidence in it. Investor sentiment did rise last week to the highest level in a year and a half. We had a very sharp jump in uh, bullish sentiment, by the way. Market breadth or the number of stocks participating in the rally has widened a bit. Meanwhile, individual investors have jumped back into the market after largely sitting on the sidelines for the past three months. The institutional investors are piling back in as well based on recent fund flow data. And that is a true statement. In fact, I've got an article coming out uh, Tuesday, uh, Friday, Friday or Tuesday. I can't remember. I've got an article coming out on this showing the turn in investor sentiment and positioning. And it is, beginning, it is getting fairly aggressive fairly quickly. So, again, this is the hard part of investing. You know, I'm still getting a lot of emails every day with very bearish views on the economy, on the markets. You know, we've given me all the reasons that, you know, things are going to go back down to lows. And there's certainly some valid arguments. I'm not discounting those at all. I'm not saying that those people are stupid or idiots or anything else, as a lot of the media will tell you. But we do have to give some value, as we said before, to what the market is doing. The market can do things that are totally irrational, totally illogical for a whole variety of reasons. And then later we find out that maybe the market wasn't wrong after all. Again, going back to our conversation we're still stinging, a lot of us are still stinging from that 2022 period. It was pretty brutal. Stocks were down, bonds were down, nothing worked in 2022. There was no safe haven other than cash in 2022. 
And we all remember that. And so we're all kind of afraid to venture out of our cave right now to go hunting again because we got bit the last time we did. But this is where we've got to muster it up, step out there and take some risk and say, look, okay, I get it. Right? That happened, but I've got to go out and I've got to hunt for some food. Otherwise, we're all going to starve. So that's just the process we've got to go through. Now, right now, again, this has been a very one-sided market. And we've talked about this. We talked about this in this past weekend's newsletter. You know, we're starting to see some small shifts within the markets, but not a lot. Any reasonably allocated portfolio is is lagging this year. So if you own some energy, some financials, some you know staples, some discretionary, some you know some tech, etc., your portfolio is underperforming because the performance has been pushed all into really two areas of the market. That's okay. Don't worry about underperforming right now because you'll there's going to be a catch up period here as that market rotates eventually and broadens out. That will occur, but it's time. So just like last year was a tough period on the downside, but a well-diversified portfolio protected you, this year a well-diversified portfolio is hurting you because of how the market is narrow in its advance. That's okay. We don't have to beat the market every year. We just need to participate and play the rotations when they occur. And that rotation is coming, just don't know when. Could be later this year, could be tomorrow. All right, come back. We'll wrap up the show. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com Kind of an interesting development. Uh, the United States Representative Warren Davidson has introduced the SEC Stabilization Act. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, Gary Gensler has, he's the Securities and Exchange Commissioner and has not been very effective in helping markets become more efficient, fair, etc. And has, of course, and this is kind of always the case with SEC chairman, is that they are really beholden to Wall Street. As we've said before, is that, you know, what we need is a regulatory agency. And, and there's plenty of examples of this. Uh, it, you know, back previously, there was a brief movement 
by the SEC to investigate high-frequency trading firms and their impact on financial markets and how it makes it unfair for the retail investor, et cetera, which is all a true story. And right in the middle of the SEC investigation into these high-frequency trading firms, the person heading up the investigation quits and goes to work for the very firm that they're investigating. Of course, then the investigation dies and high-frequency trading continues and Citadel has become a monster in that space. And this has always been the problem is that there's this revolving door between the SEC and Wall Street. So if you want a job on Wall Street where you're going to make you know, millions of dollars every year, you go to work for the SEC and then you work your way up the chain, get to a relative position of importance, and then you go to work for a Wall Street firm. And of course, every time there's allegations or, you know, clear violations of law by these major firms, they're always settled with neither an admission or guilt of any action or any wrongdoing. We neither admit or deny any wrongdoing in this matter, but we're going to pay this $5 billion fine, right? <laughs> and so nothing ever changes, right? We go back to 2008 and we had major banks that were fraudulently doing mortgages. And they paid a fine. Got a slap on the wrist for doing all of these fraudulent mortgages, of which they made billions of dollars. And, you know, if you're going to, if, you, if I can make $100 billion doing some illegal activity, knowing that ultimately I'll get caught, and my penalty for getting caught is to pay $5 billion in a fine, why would I not do that activity all day long if my tax is $5 billion? Seems like a pretty good profit motive, right? This is what happened during the financial crisis. But this has been going on for a long time. Every time that there is a you know, headline, and, and you've seen plenty of these, you know, J.P. Morgan caught manipulating gold markets, you know, so forth and so on. We just We see these all the time. The SEC comes in is like, oh, we're going to regulate these guys. And, of course, then they quickly agree to a settlement and they pay a fine or whatever it is, and then everybody moves on. But the activity never changes. So you need a clear Chinese wall between the SEC and Wall Street. If you go to work for the SEC, that's fine. But you need a situation, a structure that says, if you come to work for the SEC, we're happy to have you. Love having you. Thank you for coming. But you can not go to work for a Wall Street or a firm or an investment advisory firm, period. Wall Street Bank, Wall Street Firm, RIA. You cannot go to work for any company within the purview of the SEC regulations, anybody that we regulate, you cannot go to work for them for a period of five years, 10 years, whatever it is. 
after you leave the firm. So after you leave the SEC, you can't go work for any Wall Street firm, bank, etc. for five years. That would greatly reduce the bribery that goes on within the SEC. What do you mean bribery? Well, it's basically saying what Wall Street does, and they say, look, you know, we'll settle this, and you come work for us, and we're going to pay you, you know, government salary is $150,000. We'll pay you $5 million, right? Let's get this kind of swept away. Let's get this put out of the way, and, you know, we'll, we'll go on from here. This is why nothing changes. The attack right now is on Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler and BlackRock and everybody else has been involved in pushing Wall Street and other companies to do more of Biden's, you know, President Biden and the administration's bidding in many ways. Warren Davidson in this new bill said in a statement, U.S. capital markets must be protected against the tyrannical chairman, including the current one. That's why I'm introducing legislation to fix the ongoing abuse of power and ensure protection that is in the best interest of the market for years to come. It's time for real reform and a return back to sanity. Um, in this bill, he made the announcement to reply to a tweet by Coinbase's uh, legal chief, Paul Gruel. Tom Emmer is the co-author of the bill. Emmer said that the SEC Stabilization Act will make common sense changes to ensure that the SEC's priorities are with the investors. And this is a true statement. With the investors, they are charged to protect and not the whims of its chairman. If you don't understand the SEC, it was formed in 1933. Why did we form the SEC in 1933? It was following the crash of the financial markets in 1929. Why did the markets crash in 1929? Because prior to that, there was a very tight relationship between Wall Street and banks. The banks were basically issuing IPOs and then loaning people money to invest in the IPOs from the banks, of course, when everything blew up, everybody lost everything, right? There's no FDIC insurance. So to ensure that that would never happen again, the SEC, the uh, government passed, Congress passed the 1933 Securities Act, which established the SEC. In 1934, they passed the regulations to actually install the people and regula regulators into the SEC. So that was the formation. In 1940, we passed the, the, the 1940 uh, Mutual Fund Act as well. So there's been several regulations that were passed. The, the reason we passed those regulations was to do two things. To separate banks and brokerage firms. We said, y'all can't play together because when y'all play together in the same sandbox, y'all do bad things. The second thing was to protect investors from the predatory nature of Wall Street and the investment environment. Everything worked fine until the late 90s, and then we decided that 
because of the lobbying of major wall of major banks who were not allowed to play in Wall Street, uh, you know, through the 90s, banks like J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo, et cetera, could not issue securities. They could not do IPOs. They couldn't participate in investment banking. And they were missing out on all the activity that was going on on Wall Street. And so they lobbied Congress heavily to get them involved back in the Wall Street business. And so, therefore, we eventually passed rules and regulations that allowed Wall Street banks to now, the major banks, to become investment banks again. We allowed them to collude together, and lo and behold, and eight years later, we're in the midst of the biggest financial crisis since 1929, and at the top of it all, just like we saw in 1929 with Charles Ponzi, we had Bernie Madoff. This is what happens when you allow banks and Wall Street to play together. It hurts the average person. Things have only gotten worse since then, of course, with the Fed's intervention into the markets. Everybody's sitting around scratching their head. We can't really understand why we have this wealth gap in the country, right? We can't understand why banks keep getting richer and richer and richer, and the average American keeps getting poorer and poorer and poorer. is because of these very actions, which act as a wealth transfer mechanism from the middle class to the rich. According to Fox News, the bill would remove Gary Gensler from office and redistribute the power between the SEC chair and the commissioners. It would also add a sixth commissioner to the agency, disallow any party from holding a majority on the commission and create an executive director position. So we'll see if this uh, bill gets any legs to it to pass. I have a sneaking suspicion that it will die a quick death, but it was a move in the right direction for a brief moment. Anyway, that wraps up the show for the day. We'll be back tomorrow. Be sure to get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog post is out this morning. I'll be uh, putting that up uh, here just a moment on Twitter as well, but get by the website for that. Also, tomorrow will be the second part of Mike's article on sector and market rotation. So that's a good catch up to part one as well. That's all on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send your questions, comments, and emails. See you back here tomorrow.